0: She knows everything that's happening here. Catlin Moran, good morning to you. Good morning to well, you, my darling. Let's introduce you to some people who might claim or pretend they don't know who you are. Catlin Moran is a feminist, a journalist, an author and an all-round funny person. Thank you very much. Some of your best-selling books include How to Be a Woman, How to Build a Girl, More Than a Woman. And now you've turned your attention to men. Yes. The latest one, What About Men? Uh, but We should start by saying you're you're a big fan of men, aren't you? You're yes.
1: A, Yes, uh, I think there's this presumption that all feminists are man-haters and uh, it's just not realistic to be a man-hater really, like they're just everywhere (laughs) you tend to be related to them, you can give birth to them you've just got to go, we're all brothers and sisters, are we not? And you just need to get on And um,
0: why would you go here then? Why would you talk about men? What specific reason are you here?
1: Well I'd spent the last 10-15 years talking about the women and the ladies Mm -hmm. and uh, whenever I'd do an event, the second or third question I'd be asked after an hour of talking about the women and the ladies uh, would be, oh yeah but what about men? And at first I admit I was quite peevish in my response, I was like, ah the fine <laughs> kind of like, also I don't care uh, they will have to sort out their problems themselves also it would be the ultimate irony of feminism would it not if women had to solve all of women's problems and then solve all the problems of men but there was International Women's Day two years ago and I was doing an event at a college with some 15 and 16 year olds half boys half girls thought we'd be talking about the problems of women and girls and the boys hijacked it. And they were like, no, it's men that have the problems now. It's Mm -hmm. harder to be a man than a woman. Women are winning and boys are losing. And they were angry. And when you deal with people who are angry, you know that they're scared because anger is just fear brought to the boil. And I was like, "Okay, this has got to be my next book. Why is this generation of boys so scared of women, why do they think they're losing? And I want to
0: start at the start because you do it in a nice chronology in in a way in the book because you start, the boys entered the world of boys, very specific place. Uh, from school like straight away
1: yeah and I started interviewing men at the back I realised I didn't really know what men and boys lives were like like women are so there's all these statistics like 80% of books are bought by women and if you Mm. go into any bookshop in the world there's a women's section and it's massive and it's every part of our lives and all these memoirs and gossipy stuff and feminism there is no men's section we don't really write about men's lives particularly straight white men's lives in the way that we write about everybody else we don't see them as a separate class so I didn't really know what the experience of being a boy or a man was so I did lots of interviews and talked to people and just several things came up sport particularly football like even if you don't care about football as a boy you have to fake it till you make it you (laughs) have to you have to pick a team and pretend you care about it violence was a thing that I was really like as a woman I just didn't realise how sort of like common the fear of violence is like kind of every boy that I know had been in a fight I've never been in a fight and this explained one thing that had always really intrigued me about men they all the boys were saying that when they go to school you have to work out who you could beat in a fight and who would be able to beat you in a fight which suddenly I now understood all the men that I know of my age you will sit in a pub for two hours yes. going what would win in a fight a bear or a swan <laughs> and I was like that, it starts in childhood you have to work out who you could beat in a fight Well
0: actually I, I kind of strayed away in that chapter because you, you gave one of the examples of uh, men talking about who would like, would Sean Connery's James Bond be able to beat up Daniel
1: Craig's? I was gone off thinking about that. I've been thinking about it ever since. So, what do you reckon? Because I was deeping this earlier. So, what <laughs> who do you, you think it? would win in that fight? I,
0: I said Daniel Craig, obviously, yeah. being more ripped he's and fitted. lies. Yeah, whereas Sean the from the you know the good drunken 70s, but he is taller. And I just thought maybe if Sean Connery got Daniel Craig in a headlock, he's got the, he the would, leverage. Yeah, yeah there was kind of no way back then for Daniel Craig. I
1: think also, I think Sean Connery would have the benefit of crazy. I think Sean Connery's an old school man, I think he'd fight dirty, so he would. Maybe do, he would kick Daniel Craig up the bum and then Daniel Craig would be offended by this. That's His dignity right. would be destroyed it'd and be psychologically that would be devastating. Yeah, be so, yeah. I mean, like
0: Heineken Zero Man versus Sean Connery, exactly. smoking drinking era yeah. Glasgow milkman, isn't it? You yeah, it
1: surprised him. He hit him on the head with a tray and go, ha And then Daniel Craig's sort of radar training would be offended by it.
0: But uh, the world, the boys. World, they enter this world where uh, violence is obviously the sort of pecking order. And I was kind of surprised that you didn't know this was like, you know, everyone, every one of us boys who've gone to school, you know, it's all sorted out with even just shoving in school, you kind of figure out who's going to, who's in charge basically. But comedy is the currency.
1: Yes, no, hugely so. Banter, definitely, and you see that from a very early age. And it's been fascinating on this tour. Just done a ten-date tour, and the people that we get in the queues. I do two-hour signings afterwards. It's like mothers, and particularly people in the educational system, like mm. kind of like teachers and support workers, and they're they're all just talking about how around about the age of seven. Before that, boys and girls are pretty similar. Yes. If a boy is sad, he will cry. Mm-hmm about the age of seven, suddenly it's, no, that's a girly thing to do. Like, if you cry at school as a boy, like, it's suddenly like, oh, Dan's been crying, it's a scandal, like, kind of like, yeah. that's where it starts, and that's the start of banter. And suddenly when you listen, if you're standing in a playground, all the boys turn into, like, little Jason Statham's or The Rocks. It's all like, this is a car, pow, pow, pow. Whereas the girls are still up in the corner, kind of like, you know, talking about their feelings and kind mm-hmm. of like talking about how they want to be Prime Minister one day. And it's, the diff- <laughs> it's basically the difference between the ladies and the men's toilets. As yes. a woman, if you Go into the ladies' toilets, whatever your problem, a bunch of complete strangers in there will come to your aid. Safety pin, check your eyeliner, tell you your boyfriend's a bad man, put their arm around you, give you a shot, take you out to the dance floor, and you go, Yay, I've made some friends in the ladies' toilets. My understanding is that doesn't happen in the men's toilets. Don't. Men don't go into the men's toilets with a problem and find that men snuggle up with them and give them hugs and then say you're my new friend and take them onto the dance floor so that's the difference between the male and the female communication styles and uh, that was what I wanted to write the book about because there's no reason why there should be that difference Mm -hmm. there's no reason why men shouldn't be able to like have a kind of brotherhood in the way that girls have a sisterhood
0: so the problems do and we never really leave the schoolyard do we no. This, this dynamic just
1: continues on through life. Well this is where it all starts, Like, there's a set stat of statistics at the beginning, so boys are more likely to be medicated at school for disruptive behaviour they're more likely to be excluded from school less likely to go on to further education, more likely to join a gang, more likely to be addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography uh, More like, they make up the majority of the homeless population and the prison population, mm-hmm. and one in five, uh, uh, and, and suicide is the leading cause of death for men under the age of 50. So that's a big set of problems, mainly around communication and education it all starts at school. So so that was the sort of those are the facts that I wanted to go into the book with, but then have fun with it because I think the reason that if boys do think that women are winning and boys are losing at the moment, it's because women have invented feminism, and for the last 15 mm. years we've just found a brilliant way to talk about the problems of being a woman that makes you know the thing we hear all the time is the future is female, like kind of like it's lists of women who are going to change the world, and I want that sense of hope and discussion for the boys to have She'll that be too, because uh, w- women had to invent feminism. Oh yeah,
0: because the boys had had it all.
1: Yeah, well exactly, I mean 150 years ago our grandmothers, you know, we couldn't own property you know, we couldn't vote, we couldn't go into politics we couldn't wear trousers or smoke cigarettes or have any kind of fun whatsoever yeah. and then we invented feminism and now we're in space you know, we're ruling countries, like there's been this amazing sense of progress for the girls but nothing's really changed for the boys mm. and I just think that maybe now is the time with those statistics that I talked about, it's quite obvious there is a problem and I think maybe boys would like to have the kind of conversations we've had about women which is like should we invent you boys? Do you want hope and let's talk about what's good about men because when I talk to those boys who were angry they were like yeah I've been brought up in a house where I've got a feminist mom, and all I hear are saying is like typical men Typical straight white men, toxic patriarchy. And I know she's joking, but like I haven't ever heard her say anything good about boys. Mm. And I was like, okay, let's write a book that's good, that just says positive good things about boys.
0: So these angry boys out there uh, who are feeling left behind by the the recent, particularly the more recent wave of feminism around Me Too and so on, their attention is now being captured by some uh, pretty nasty people.
1: Oh, yeah, yes. Andrew Tate.
0: And there is a scale, though, isn't there? It kind of starts... A Jordan Peterson? Yes. Which is, you know... Not
1: a fan of, no. Uh, (laughs) I had loads of people going, you know, he is the foremost intellectual of our time. You should read his books. And I was like, okay. So dipped into his oeuvre. So I didn't go to school. I didn't go to university. I'm from a council of the state in Wolverhampton and this guy's the biggest intellectual in the world. So I thought there was going to be some pretty meaty facts in this book. There isn't. First of all, his two big bits of advice that everyone goes on about are one, you should make your bed in the morning Mm. and two, if you walk down the street and you see a cat, pet it and it will give you an enormous sense of well-being. That's stuff your mum has been telling you for years. Like, like literally. (laughs) And and you have been ignoring it. it. Like, kind of like... And then, second, he's got this lobster theory that human beings are... Men are like lobsters. So, male lobsters, if they ever win in a fight, if they stop being aggressive and they lose a single fight, a chemical reaction happens where their brains liquefy and they become brain-damaged and submissive for the rest of their lives. And so, Jordan P. Peterson goes, so men must always be aggressive and you must never lose a fight. A couple of points here. One we diverged evolutionarily from lobsters 800 million years ago lobsters urinate out of their eyes (laughs) we do not have gigantic delicious hands, we're not lobsters and if human beings when they lost a single fight became brain damaged then the Olympics would be a bloodbath. and even the family game of Scrabble at Christmas would be a human rights issue so we're not like lobsters I can't believe the cleverest man in the world is telling men they can never lose a single argument or fight, as humans we lose arguments and fights all the time
0: and of course, it's not even his advice. These are rules. rules. These are his 12 rules, rules for life. Yeah. But uh, the thing I'd never thought of before until you pointed out is that he is pretty miserable
1: Oh yes. Isn't he Jordan Peterson? Oh he's a depressive man. I do a list of all the times he says things like life is suffering earth is hell, human beings are not made to be happy. There's a whole page of them like he's mm. a very depressive fundamentalist Christian with some pretty tasty views on vaccines, global warming and trans and trans rights and um, I just if you're going to take your advice from someone you want to just take it from some kind of laid back happy guy like I take life advice from Paul McCartney he looks like yes. he's living a smashing life. Jordan Peterson does not look like he's having a smashing life and anyone who's Says there are rules. There are no rules. The only rule is there is no rules. Well, he says himself he's having a, a
0: pretty miserable life. He's and he's he's crying all the time, isn't he?
1: Palpably, yeah. yeah no, I listened to his podcast with um, Russell Brand, and he just sobbed through the first forty-five minutes. It's like, come on, cheer up, mate! You sold eight million books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And uh, so he's a, he's a constipated Kermit. Is mm. basically the kind of is the summary. Oh, can
1: we talk about the constipation? Please, yeah, he's please. This is fascinating. This, he's following this mad diet where all he eats is beef, salt, and water. <laughs> And then, not surprisingly, became massively constipated. Like, again, you wouldn't take life advice from a man who doesn't know about fibre. Yes. Have a bowl of All bran. Like, this is a terrible life.
0: All, that's obviously might explain why he's crying all the time, just to get his osmosis level. Which He's all bummed in, up in down order. below.
1: He spent hours on the toilet and he's so, so sad.
0: So, as I say, that, that's the scale. You open with Jordan Peterson, but goes all the way up to... Andrew Tate, which is a dark place. Yeah, that, so the that stats That the angry on boys this, are drawn to. Well,
1: the stats on this are terrifying. So, like, kind of like... As, in my understanding is that every single school in the UK has had to have a staff meeting for dealing with this. So his mm. fans are disrupting lessons. Female teachers are having homework handed back to them by male pupils that say, make me a sandwich written on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Like, you should not be teaching me. Male teachers are having boys going, do you let your wife go out on her own? And the reason that Andrew Tate is such a huge phenomenon is because... And this is what breaks my heart so hard, Half the book's basically aimed at kind of like middle-aged men of my age and the other half is aimed at teenage boys. The lovely, good liberal men of my generation, when this recent wave of feminism came along, basically went, fair enough, let the ladies have have a, have a chance now. We'll just be a bit quiet and stoic and we're not going to talk about men and boys anymore. Yeah. But that Because means... they understood the
0: history. Yeah, exactly. They've they? got yeah.
1: perspective. Yes. 10,000 years of patriarchy and Benny Hill chasing sexy schoolgirls around a tree. <laughs> yes. But, of course, time goes really quickly. So suddenly a whole new generation of boys have come along when we've only been talking about the future being female. No one, the the good liberal progressive men have not been talking about masculinity in boys. Mm. So Andrew Tate comes along. He's the first person to go, actually, boys are great and you can't have too much masculinity. And why don't you have a bunker in Romania where you run a sex cam operation, Uh, which is obviously not good advice for boys. That's not, if you're feeling a bit anxious and depressed about your exams, running a Romanian sex bunker is not going to make you feel happy.
0: What's frightening is the age of the boys that are attracted to this Andrew Tate um, sad universe.
1: Yes, no. I mean, from, from what we see from the they tend to grow out of it by the time they're sort of 17, 18, 19 yeah. but the, the, the stats on it are huge like every single school in the UK has been disrupted by this like, but they're
0: the immersed from about 11
1: yes it happens really really early and that's, and that's where you realise that we do kind of need to have I mean the, the offer I'm making in the book is going feminism's been a blast and it's palpably made women's lives better we need a version of that for boys now where kind of like if you're 11 and 12 because it's all about role models mm. women have been so good at coming up with amazing role models every teenage girl's wall is covered in a pantheon of amazing role models We don't really talk about role models for boys in the same way. So Mm. when someone dark like Andrew Tate comes along, like kind of he's the first person who's going, yeah, let's talk about men.
0: And unlike Jordan Peterson, his life isn't exactly working out very well.
1: No. I mean, the latest picture that I saw of that he posted on Twitter, he was topless on a motorbike holding a machine gun and a balaclava. It's like... That suggests that your life isn't that pleasant. <laughs> like kind of, you just pop into the shops in that outfit. Why would you need to be dressed like that on a Saturday morning?
0: Yeah, I'm facing some very serious charges as well. We can say, uh, the, how do they? Grow, how do the boys grow out of Andrew Tate?
1: Have you got any? So I found this amazing educational expert called Josh Spears who goes around schools, and he was saying that, like, I think especially when parents find out their kids are into uh, someone like Andrew Tate, their first thing is just to go, "This is a bad man. This guy's a dick, and you need to not have him as your hero." Mm. No young kid wants to hear that so he was like he starts a conversation going I used to have a hero when I was younger someone I really looked up to and admired and that was Kevin Spacey yeah. and when I found out that Kevin Spacey had been you know faced with numerous allegations of wrongdoing I was faced with a choice that everyone has as they are growing up it's to either go no I don't believe these things that are being said about my heroes I double down on my love that is a conspiracy theory." or you do what you will have to do over and over again in your life, which is go, I chose a hero who has now let me down, and I need to sit with that heartbreak for a bit, and then I need to find a new hero. Yes. And he's very much about going, basically, when you're young, you need like a catalogue of heroes and role models that you can flick through going, oh, that one works for me, that one mm. works for me. So when I looked for good role models for boys, I Googled most loved men in the world, yeah. and it took me 10 Google search pages to find the first list of most loved men because the return I kept getting was the most powerful men in the world. and I think that's my, my fundamental worry with people like Andrew Tate and Jordan B. Peterson. They're, talking, they're saying that power is what men need, that that's what will cure your depression and anxiety and worry about your place in the world. And power never made anyone depressed and anxious happy. What you want is empowerment. Mm. How do you self-soothe? How do you educate yourself? How do you feel like you're part of something? How do you change the definition of what it is that you are? And that's what feminism did for women. We didn't want power over men. We just wanted to be empowered. Yes. And that's what I'm hoping that boys. That's the conversation I feel that we need to start now. It's not about getting power over women. It's about empowering yourselves, which you can do on your own. You don't need to oppress a load of women. It'll save you so much time.
0: You found some nice examples. Uh, Kiana Reeves, in particular, I was struck
1: by. Yes, so loved. Yeah, Kiana, which is interesting because obviously he is near in The Matrix and a huge amount of these sort of right wing conspiracy theories are about The Matrix but the actual guy who was in The Matrix set up a cancer foundation he's well known for on the sets of films like sharing out the profits between all the rest of the crew Mm -hmm. like he's just a genuinely lovely man and Paul McCartney as well you know kind of like he's an amazing role model biggest rock star in the world could have done anything married a single mother moved up to Scotland and started making bread and thatching a roof like he's a really interesting (laughs) alpha man
0: Are there role models for fellas that might be a A little bit conservative leaning, right leaning, because that's kind of if you're a right leaning kid or whatever, you're in your 20s, you know, are there the role models that are sort of in the kinder vein? Uh, that don't uh, think you know no to immigrants no to women and so on
1: yeah i don't know more conservative ones i'm all about the, the liberal sexy guys so <laughs> right, like imagine okay, like, you know just like you know your sexy liberals and and any kind of puppets or muppets like kind of like gonzo from the muppets is still my ideal hero so like <laughs> and husband i hope one day <laughs>
0: um, th- th- we'll stick with the teenage boys for the moment and we'll we'll talk about the the more middle-aged men uh, because pornography is obviously a huge issue for yes. this uh, teenage group in particular since it's their sex education
1: yes Hugely. So um, so one of the stories in the book, uh, it's the, sort of one of the chapters that's had the most impact. So when I wrote How to Be a Woman, we were talking about pornography from a, from a women's point of view. And I was just sort of going, obviously, most of what you see online is from male gaze because the, the, all the menus you get are types of women. And, uh, you know, it's it's not tender or funny or realistic. And in, th- in that book, which I wrote in 2010... I went, I hope by the time my daughters and and the boys of their age are teenagers and looking at porn, that they'll find something that's brilliant and tender and realistic. And uh, one of the boys I mentioned was this boy called Sam, who is now 22. And uh, I spoke to him recently and he went, yeah, it's really funny when you wrote that, because when that book came out, I was eight and I laughed because I was already looking at pornography when I was eight. Wow. And the thing that we don't understand as parents, because when we were growing up, like kind of like pornography, you just found it in hedges. Like that's where the people left the magazines. That's where you found the pornography. But our kids are in this world of infinite online pornography and we don't understand what they're seeing or we don't know how young they're watching it. And the fact is that your child's entry into the world of pornography is absolutely predicated on the most troubled kid in your class throwing their mobile phone at them and going, look at this. This is weird. This is freaky. Yes. And because we don't know our kids are seeing at that age, we haven't given them the talk. Mm -hmm. And the the talk is this, that you don't just look at pornography. Pornography looks into you Mm -hmm. because you are soft, malleable clay at that age. So, of course, whatever sex you are seeing becomes your sexual imagination and your sexual fantasies. That's what you will want sexually for the rest of your life. And if what you're seeing is completely unrealistic, violent, uh, you know, unpleasant sex then that's what you're going to want for the rest of your life. Like kind of, and we're not telling our kids that. So they're seeing this and they think this is what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And as I detail in the, in the book, Sam had terrible problems with this. He was just unable to have normal sexual relationships with any of his partners because he was so overwhelmed by being with an actual woman rather than watching a screen that, I mean, it's just awful. He he would, he would have to put a pillow over his partner's faces because he couldn't look at a woman while they were having sex. It's just, you know, what are we doing? How have we screwed up sex for our kids? Mm. You know, Cats do it on shed roofs in the rain. And yet we are the species with these massive brains and all this technology, and we're, we're screwing up sex for our kids.
0: Uh, Sam, he does recover.
1: Yes, he's an amazing... I cannot tell you what an amazing boy he is. So, yeah, so his ocd had complicated this situation but he's now as he says 2 years clean of porn and he now wants to go around schools and like talk to kids about the reality of porn because there's one thing sort of parents and teachers talking about it but if you've got you know a, a very handsome charismatic 22 year old boy coming in and going i had this experience and i want to talk to you as an equal and a peer i think it's an easier way to start a conversation for a lot of young people
0: yeah um someone is sending a message a brilliant conversation about education of young boys Damien dempsey's a brilliant role model for the young dubs he's a he's a great hero he's a singer songwriter love yourself being one of his tunes, which is kind of a part of your message isn't it
1: that well- Boys need to love themselves. Well, that's the big thing, because obviously we've just spent, you know, the last couple of minutes talking about really dark stuff and some really chunky statistics. But, like, what I observed worked for women and the feminist movement is just starting from a place of joy and hope. You know, what is brilliant about women? What do we love about women? And we need to do this about boys. Like, it's got to the point now where, you know, I've been doing this tour for two weeks, and when I say the phrase straight white man... I still feel quite tense because that's usually the start of a horrible conversation or people being bigoted or homophobic or racist. But if you can't, if you are a straight white man and saying... What you are sounds a bit shameful and you're worried you're going to be attacked. For a generation of boys, if you can't even say what you are, name the category you're in, then we we come into a very negative world. So I wanted to start with joy and hope and positivity. What's good about men? What do we love about our boys? You know, at the end of the day, we're all just brothers and sisters on the back seat of a car, you know, driving off to our ultimate destination, which is, you know, to be existential, the grave. So we're here for a very short period (laughs) of time and we need to get on and be happy in the back seat together.
0: Um, there's someone here that says the principal of an all boys secondary school. We've seen the hugely disturbing influence of Andrew Tate here. Parents not addressing or not aware of their child's internet access, targeting female teachers, challenging male teachers, even with the best of advice from real role models, uh, they do not believe that Andrew Tate is wrong. And this is exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? And you can firewall your your child's phone all you want,
1: but they're going to get it from someone else's. Of course, phone and, 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 of and you know, and a big part of that is rebellion as well. Like, kind of mm. like you know, if you've got some like good liberal progressive parents, like you know, what's the thing that's going to grind their gears most if you come back being kind of like you know an extreme right wing mean, misogynist so like you know part of it is teenage rebellion but like knowing the scale of it and knowing how to start a con- it's all about everything's about knowing a good conversational tone and I don't think we've yet invented a way to talk to particularly our young boys in the kind of brilliant frank shameless funny warm relaxed way that we've learned to talk to our teenage girls about their bodies their lives and their problems and that's as a bit of a chat machine I was like that was the task yeah. I set myself I was like I reckon I can invent a relaxed funny chatty way to talk about the problems of teenage boys do you think do you think that day
0: is ever going to happen? Because obviously the difference between um, teenage girls talking about their bodies and celebrating them on social media is a world away from boys.
1: Oh he, yeah, I mean this is this is the thing. Like so, on Instagram, for instance, when I was growing up as a fat teenage girl, it was not a great thing to be. And I'm now growing up, in it. and now I'm in an era where my daughters are growing up. And on Instagram, you see big girls with their rolls and their stretch marks mm. in bikinis taking pictures of themselves, smiling, and all their friends are like, "Yes, queen, fire emoji, dancing yeah. girl emoji." As on TV, though, as yes, well? yeah, totally. But the idea of a fat teenage boy right now taking a picture of himself in his trunks there would be tumbleweed or people going that's a bit weird or yeah. that's a bit gay and but but that's but that celebration of women that's something we've invented in the last 15 years and I don't mm. see why we can't invent that for teenage boys now mm. that's the thing cultural change can come so quickly it was very
0: fast when you said when you put it like that
1: hugely I look at articles that I wrote 10 years ago bemoaning kind of like the kind of teenage girls that we'd see on TV just going oh they're all just really thin and pretty and boring and now <laughs> we live in a world of like you know euphoria and book smart so it can change
0: really quickly and uh, someone's asking what about the fabulous and genuine maleness of gay men We are men too, says John. I was reading this with a a gay man's um, perspective.
1: Well, this is one of the really interesting things. So I've mainly targeted it at straight white men because Mm. like the women, like the LGBTQI community, people of colour, we've been really good at talking about identity and campaigns over the last 10, 15 years. Pride, International Women's uh, Day and stuff. Straight white men haven't had anything like that. So I was targeting it mainly at straight white men. But one of the most interesting things was I looked through history to see if there had ever been any kind of men's movement before. Mm. And there had, but over and over again, They were destroyed by homophobia because as soon as men started talking about being emotional, being more tactile, people would just be like, oh, that's just a bit gay, and it would crash to a halt, which is why it's really interesting that my daughter's generation, for all their problems with Andrew Tate, they are notably more tactile. They are notably more emotional. You see teenage boys hugging each other and go, you're right, mate. And that's happened with the decline in homophobia that we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years. So although we've always talked about the alliance between straight women and gay men, really weirdly, the fate of straight men is very much intertwined with the state of gay men's status because as homophobia declines, actually straight men can do more things because they're not scared of being accused of being gay anymore. So I found that a really interesting subject yes. that we've never really talked about how the f- fates of straight and gay men are actually quite intertwined.
0: Yeah, because it's, I suppose it's... It's the fact that women had to invent feminism and, and gay men had to invent gay rights yes. movements. Men's movements do tend to be opposed to something as opposed to for something. There's a, there's a negativity about
1: Hugely. it. Hugely. And that was why I spent so much time trying to get the hopefully the tone of the book right and go like, this isn't about being angry and trying to get power. It's about empowerment. You don't need to see, men, straight white men do not need to see their status in the world as opposed to every other group. It's not yes. like all these groups are winning and losing. We all just need to make our lives better, like kind of, like, it's not about winning and losing. We can't win or lose. We're all in this together. It's a tiny planet. (laughs) We can't go anywhere else.
0: And, in fact, men should read... This book, especially men who have boys, I think, but um, it, it is probably going to be mostly women based on the fact that women buy all the books in the yes. house, and they buy all the books in the world.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it, I think basically half of it is stuff that uh, p- wives will be showing to their husbands going, this chapter's about you. Why don't men get to yeah. the doctor? Your ratty gym t-shirt, kind of like your fear of ageing, the male midlife crisis. And then the other half, mums are going to be showing it to their teenage sons. Your and going, friends. Why don't you have
0: Chats about all of these things yeah. we've discussed this morning with your friends.
1: Oh, well, just the stats. Like one in five men over the age of 50 says they don't have any close friends. Like kind of, and that's just, and my, when my husband read the chapter that I wrote, the first draft of the chapter I wrote about friendship where I'm going, my girlfriend, I know everything my girlfriend's had for breakfast this morning. We're mm. all on a WhatsApp group. We schedule seeing each other. Men aren't so good at scheduling these things. And uh, after my husband read the first draft of that, he was like, I've just realised something really important. Friendship is a verb. It's a doing word and I just keep forgetting that I need to schedule regularly seeing my male friends. And it was really easy. He does that now. He plays tennis once a week with his friend Andrew. Once a month they all go and play records together. And it was just these, sometimes it's little things that do change the quality of your life and men just putting things in the diary to see their mates makes a huge amount of difference. It's
0: going to make a huge difference. Uh, Your book launches are always accompanied with these massive uh, live tours you do across Britain and Ireland. So is that like group therapy? for? Oh,
1: hugely, yeah. (laughs) No, it was interesting because like, I mean, thank God for the tour, to be honest, because like usually when I I release a book with without sounding like a big head, uh, the the re- response is just hurrah. Didn't have a hurrah with this one for the first two weeks before the book came out, when no one had read it, there were a lot of very angry men just going, why has a woman written a book about men? Before you've done it, yes, yes. Of course. The, no one had read it, and the responses were half were going, how dare you say that men need more help with friendship and emotions? Like and that's a very old-fashioned generalisation. Screw you. And the other half were going, how dare you say we should be emotional and and have friendships we're not biologically wired for it why are you trying to make men like women it's like if you two groups just discuss this that's the start of a men's movement don't have a go at me but then the first night of the tour I was feeling a bit wobbly about this a man went you joke why has a woman had to write this book? Like, you know, I had waited 10 years for a man to write this book and then in the end I was like, oh, I'll do it. And he, <laughs> okay, and, and he it. went, don't you realise a woman had to do it? Because can you imagine if a man now wrote a book called What About Men? where they were saying we need to talk about men now. It's their time. They have problems. Mm. We'd be destroyed. We were thinking fa- to-
0: We'd be thinking fascist in our head. It, really, exactly, it? yeah. It. It'd
1: be reactive.
0: It, it's, it does what it says. What About Men? Kathleen Moran, it's been fascinating and I wish you luck on your trips around around the place.
1: Thank you, my darling. Discussing.
0: and and Hopefully, you can save men from ourselves.
1: That's my well. The book's number one this week, so congratulations! Like
0: congratulations! The humble brag has become. <laughs> Just had to wedge it in at the end. Women could do it so easily, but we, uh, but the men are not not allowed to do that apparently. Five one five five one. That's a text back after these.